Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain In Venice Beach there was a man named Cage As far back as I can remember I always wanted to be a monster To me being a monster was better than being president of the United States. Even before I wandered into the laboratory for an experiment, I knew I wanted to be an unholy abomination. It was there that I knew I belonged. To me, it meant being undead in a world full of the living. They weren't like anybody else. I mean, they did whatever they wanted. They befriended old blind men, and nobody ever gave them a ticket. In the summer, when they murdered children, nobody ever called the cops. And I know that because this is The Pick, starring Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westman. On this podcast, we uh, each, one at a time, pick a movie, we talk about it, and, uh, and we have a blast doing it. And I did a little rewrite there of the Goodfellas monologue because I found out <laughs> during my rehearsals before this... I could not do a Frankenstein voice. It is, a, and by the Frankenstein voice, I mean a Frankenstein monster voice. The the one that I keep doing sounds very problematic. I'd prefer <laughs> not to do it here. Uh, so I was looking for something somewhat related. I pulled up the uh, the Goodfellas, uh, you know, opening monologue because worth remembering. Uh, Goodfellas, just a few years before Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the movie that I have picked and we watched for this episode. So, is a Frankenstein voice just the the Boris Karloff voice, I guess? Like the, we belong dead. Like, what would a Frankenstein voice even be? Would it just be... I mean, I can't. For some reason, I can't do that. And all, the only thing I come, I can do, it sounds like someone with a developmental disability. <laughs> you should have just, for like thirty seconds, gone grunts. <laughs> um, also, has there ever been a piece of media that combines gangsters with monsters? Because I can't think of one, and that sounds like a great combo. I mean, they do rhyme with each other. Mobster and monster are one letter apart. Yeah. Mom, oh my gosh. I feel like this would be a good, like, a kid's movie. Kind of like a Shark Tale type thing. But, like, the mom... You, I, how do you combine the words, though? They're so close. Mob... <laughs> That's the challenge. That's why no one's mobs, ever done it. Mobs... Yeah, it just sounds like you're saying mom. Mobsters. <laughs> Momsters. Mobster. Mobster. <laughs> <laughs> once somebody figures out exactly how to work out that title you've got it's money in the bank yeah which i'm sure is what people thought about mary shelley's frankenstein but before we get into the big pick we gotta do our little picks uh and as is customary i get to go first so I'm going to finally tell you about the video game that I almost told you about a couple weeks ago, but then I didn't because Colin chose a video game. And it's not very Halloween-y, so just deal with it. The game is called Genshin Impact. It is free. It is on phones. It is on computers. It is on the PlayStation 4. It is made by a Chinese developer called MiHoYo. And on the surface... 
it's just like a huge ripoff of Breath of the Wild, the Zelda game from 2017. Uh, it's got kind of a similar art style, very uh, pushed in the anime direction. Um, but it is a, like an open world game. You can go around gathering crafting materials. You can cook food. You can find hidden treasures. You can fight a bunch of uh, like primitive monsters. Uh, it's great. Uh, you can climb everything. And you can glide around just like Link can do. Um, it's a real fun game and it's free. So I highly recommend it to people. But I have been, I've been playing this game basically this whole month. Uh, and just coincidentally, a lot of the high-profile Destiny folks, because um, the Destiny expansion got delayed until November, have not had content to do. And they've, for whatever reason, all kind of coalesced on this game. And um, it's been interesting to watch the uh, the that unfold. Because um, the one reason I would not recommend Genshin Impact to people uh, is that it is a gotcha game, which I've talked about on this podcast before uh you might remember uh gundam battle gunpla warfare uh the the mobile game that i uh got to the point where it's like i'm gonna end up spending a lot of money on this game <laughs> if i don't quit it's a uh, very addictive uh and so i did quit uh but in case you don't remember basically the the way that these games make money is that they're free but they make you want to collect things and uh when you collect things the only way you can do it is basically by spending uh, real money to uh, sort of like pull the lever on a slot machine and just see what comes out. It's uh, an insane business model that should probably be illegal. Um, but it makes the games like a real test of your self-control because you can totally play all of Genshin Impact or Gunpla uh, Battle, Gunpla, Gunpla Warfare uh, without spending a cent. But you're going to want to. <laughs> And, uh, and and if you cave in, it is a slippery slope. So these uh, like Destiny folks that I've been following, uh, people who for years have been like, Bungie gave us three months of content for $5. Was that a good deal? Um, are now dropping literally thousands of dollars into this game to get new anime girlfriends <laughs> for their teams. Um, the way the game works is instead of playing like one character, instead of playing like a Link... You have a team of four characters that you can swap in between. Um, it sort of reminds me of Final Fantasy XV in that way, um, but it's uh, you know so you've got this opportunity to um, get gear for your characters, get weapons for your characters, and just like build a team of four different characters you all want to level up. Um, and uh, and the only way to get it is to pull the slot machine, and it costs a lot of money. <laughs> I think uh, people were saying. To like guarantee a chance. So every once in a while there will be a what's called a banner, right? Where like one character is featured and there's a higher percentage chance you can get that specific character. And I think people were saying that to get one character guaranteed from one of those where the chance is up, it's gonna cost you somewhere between two to four hundred dollars. Shit, dude. Fuck. Um and that is for like the most likely easiest to get characters. If you want someone else, um it's you know, it's astronomically more expensive. Jeez. And uh, and that's to get them once. The game wants you to get a character seven times to fully unlock them. So um, this one streamer, uh, not one I, I really followed, but kind of became the biggest. I think he was the biggest Destiny streamer. And now he's definitely one of the bigger Genshin Impact streamers named M-Tashed. 
um, when the new character came out a couple weeks ago, he dropped $2,000 that night on his stream to get the character. Uh, he tried to fully level up, so try to get her seven times. He didn't. He got her like five times. And then the next day he posted a video where he's like, I don't even like this character. Um, and then so this week he put out a YouTube video saying like, I'm just going to stop using my account. I'm going to switch to like playing a free-to-play account where I don't spend any money because this is like clearly addictive and it's a terrible business model that you could spend thousands of dollars on a game and not get everything that's in the game. Um, but he still likes it and he still wants to play it just without spending any money. So uh, I guess in conclusion, I have a recommendation for Genshin Impact, but only for people who have either the limited funds or the self-control to not bankrupt themselves Jesus. playing this game. I love that it's called gotcha, and I know that's like a Japanese word or whatever, but it just sounds like gotcha, gotcha money. <laughs> Give me all the money in your yeah. daddy's wallet. You know, my nephew once spent accidentally spent like $600 on a phone game once. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's been very insidious to to see this business model show up, and I, I feel like Genshin Impact is the first of this genre to make the the jump from being just a mobile game to also being on PC and, and PS4, and it's it, like it really feels like a AAA game. Like I, seriously, I, I'm having a lot of fun playing this game, and it does remind me a lot of Breath of the Wild, but sort of a streamlined and animated up in a way. Uh, I think it's really cool, but. Uh, I you know. I, I guess I'm grateful for these YouTubers reminding me that spending money in this game won't make you happy. It'll just make you more sad. Sounds like something Colin and I are definitely going to do. <laughs> this is right up our oh. alley, right, Colin? Oh, oh yeah, totally. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, no, it looks. Uh, I was looking. We've got some pictures here. It looks pretty high quality for a phone game, which is very impressive. So I'll give it that for sure. All right, I'll go. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, recommend this like little indie film that you guys like. I don't know if you guys like heard of it though. Cause it's like pretty indie. I'm gonna re- recommend Stakeout uh, that just came out on Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's like this horror mockumentary about this documentary crew following this guy who believes uh, vampires are real, and it's from the creative team behind War Story, and it's got mm-hmm. the actor from Quentin Tarantino goes to jail. Which I hope that's on yeah, streaming someday. Uh, no, no, I can't. Cause it's a movie that I made, and and Colin and I star in it, and Sean's in it in a special guest appearance. And it's cool. It's uh, it's on streaming. It's played some festivals. Um, we got to do a Q and A a couple. What was that like a weekend or two ago? Which was a new experience for me. That was fun. Colin, I wish you could have been there, cause there was one question the moderator asked me and I didn't really have an answer for him, but I want to ask you that same question where he's talking okay. about like, what was the inspiration uh, for the able performance or the character? Cause like I kind of, you know, just wrote this ridiculous character and it's like, Colin can do something with this. <laughs> so I want to know, Colin, what was your inspiration when playing, playing able the vampire hunter? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I wish I had a more interesting answer. I was just like, this is what a very hyper-focused, weird, obsessive guy who's into a a weird online, like, underground cult 
thing would be like. Yeah. I don't know. That's it's hard. You blindsided me with that one. I, that's why I felt about every question because, like, what was the inspiration? I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Just thought of like, yeah, I mean, if I'm in my mom's basement, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if I'm being perfectly honest, it's like I don't really have time to like find inspiration because you asked me to do it and they were like filming two weeks later. It's like. Uh, yeah, I gotta, yeah, I gotta yeah. figure out what this character is, and I don't feel like I'd really cracked it until the day we started filming. Like, I don't think I had that voice uh, until we started filming. So it was out of pure desperation for a <laughs> a compelling character is, is where that came from, I guess. Well, multiple people brought up. Dwight from The Office. Yeah, that's so what I think Sean that's a good comparison. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think yeah, that's a good comparison. I think for the movie too is is Stakeout. The Office. I was watching a lot of Office at the time, so it makes <laughs> sense, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and what was your favorite exp- uh, moment on making the film, Colin? Um, I really liked it when we shot out uh, on the peninsula at uh, at that cabin that we rented. Oh, um, absolutely. That was really me, fun. Me too. It's really pretty out there. That yes. was the best part of the whole... That was like the one part of the movie where I was like, this at this moment, this feels like a real movie. Because, uh, spoilers, but I don't think anyone will ever... I don't think anyone is going to care. So there's like a cult in this movie. And we did like this cult scene on the beach. And, all, and you know, Sean, you were in a robe. And everyone was in like these robes around a fire. And I was like, this is cool. This is like a real movie scene. That was definitely yeah, my favorite part. And and speaking of like not having time to plan things out, you were like, "All right, Sean, like lead everybody in a dance." <laughs> we didn't choreograph. Well, I, I, like yeah, I think I everyone was just like gestures. looking at me. Well, we kind of I feel like we kind of worked something out, and it looked pretty good on camera. Yeah, uh, and it was fun filming in that pretty nice house. I remember like talking to Paul, co-director, about how like, oh man, I had so much fun. When we were shooting out in wherever that was, Paulsville or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Paul was like, I was so stressed out because we had a bunch of blood in the shower and I had to clean it out before we left the next morning of, like, scrubbing it out with a toothbrush. You know? And that's just independent filmmaking, you know? You're, one moment, you're you're on this big high filming this cool cult scene on a beach. Next, you're scrubbing blood out of a shower with a toothbrush. Um, and then the night before, you're discovering a stepson in the basement of the mansion. <laughs> Did you hear about that, Sean? I don't want to talk us together uh, forever, but... You guys- I really yeah. thought I would run into him because you hyped him up so much, but I never saw him. <laughs> we go to this house to film, and we're told that this house is yours for the weekend, and then we find there's someone living in the basement. It's super scary. Yeah. Ugh, man, uh, super scary movie. If you if you want like super scary movies, there's some parts near the end that are a little scary. It's mostly a comedy, but I think you'll enjoy it. You know, head over there. It's free with Prime membership. Uh, give it a rating. You know, I want to try to uh, be the second most popular stakeout on streaming. It's never going to surpass the Richard Dreyfus movie, but it'll definitely surpass some other Tom Berenger movie that I found out about recently uh, that came out th- this year as well with the same title. Uh. But it's only got 17 ratings, and Stakeout's already got two. So let's let's try to surpass. Let's try to beat Tom Berenger. And when I, whenever I search Stakeout, if I search Stakeout Movie or Stakeout 2020, it, it's the second result. So just keep that fight going. 
You can you can review it on Letterboxd too. I saw some guy yeah. who I've never heard of. Like this was before I'd even announced it. Had rated the movie, so it's like, did he really see it? Are you sure? <laughs> but apparently he had, he had two stars, which is okay. Okay, you know so I understand. Like, not everybody knows. Like, this is just some indie thing that was made for no money. You know, he's judging it on the same scale level as like, well, Tenet was way better. <laughs> you know, can't can't compete with that. Uh, I just think that's funny that, you know, you forget the movie's out there in the world. People can have their opinions about it now. Not everyone's going to be nice about it. So that's kind of an interesting experience. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully more people watch it. Just got to get the word out. Follow us on uh, Stake Out the Movie on Instagram. There you go. Yeah, you're the third result on IMDb and the sixth result on Letterboxd. All right. Get, getting somewhere. Just a lot of movies Snape's taken out, I guess. Yeah, in retrospect. Well, at the time, there was only, like... There was one less, at least. The Tom Berger <laughs> one didn't exist. But, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so, my little pick. I haven't spent that much time with it, but I like it so far. It came out on Friday. It is the new Bruce Springsteen album. It's called... <laughs> I thought you could say New Mountain Goats album. Uh, I haven't listened to that one as much. Why is your response... (laughs) (laughs) Controversial. Uh, sure. Anyways, uh, yeah, this is, uh, Bruce Springsteen's first album with the E Street Band in a few years. Uh, he did come out with an album last year, uh, called Western Stars, which I may be like a little more than this one just because it was kind of a newer sound for him which was nice to see at this uh, point in his career but letter to did you see the movie he made for it uh no they also made a like a documentary about the making of this album as well which oh, i would like to see because uh what is he david byrne now <laughs> maybe he did also have that Netflix uh, special about his his Broadway show. So yeah, I think he is David yeah. Byrne at this point. He's he's working for the same he's guy. He's working class David Byrne. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I it's just a, like a pretty straightforward rock album that kind of captures what you, what you would want uh, out of the E Street Band, which I appreciate because I feel like some of these more recent. Springsteen albums with the street band like they'll take some musical detours into different like genres or kind of more modern sounds that maybe don't always work as well for this band's kind of style but this is just like just just straight up rock album it has a few songs that actually Springsteen wrote in the 70s I think at least one of them was written before his first album and that's cool like it it definitely feels like he's reflecting on his his life and also his relationship with the street band i'm sure there's some of that stuff covered in the documentary but um yeah just another strong album from him it's nice to see that he's kind of had a bit of a a resurgence in uh creativity and output um because the 2010s were a little lean for him in terms of newer music. I don't know if he had a bit of writer's block or something, but uh, 
I always love the boss. Gotta love him. You're so much closer to him now. I am? Yeah. What do you mean? You mean geographically? Just Yeah, geographically. That is true. <laughs> I am just, just across a river and, you know, probably most of New Jersey. I don't know what part of New Jersey he lives in. But yeah. Let me ask you this, Colin. Yeah. Obviously, living in Pennsylvania, easy to get to to New York, New Jersey, presumably Maryland, Delaware. What's going on with What's going on with Delaware? What's going on with Delaware? I've only been there once. It was for a wedding. There's a lot of uh, like giant buildings owned by banks there, and that's kind of what I gather is the deal with Delaware. Is it just has really uh, like good tax laws for big corporations <laughs> so they like a lot of them will set up their headquarters there uh and i think that's the thing with delaware i don't know it seemed perfectly nice also i, I don't know i only went to wilmington home of joe biden uh, who's the bruce springsteen of delaware <laughs> is the question i'm like looking it. up artists from delaware I don't know Cab, if there's Cab any. Cab Calloway. Okay, that's a good one. All right, that's pretty good. Oh, guys, I okay. There, I have, I there's an easy one here. I have found the uh, the Bruce Springsteen of Delaware. It is uh, George Bad to the Bone Thoroughgood. He is from Wilmington, <laughs> Delaware. <laughs> dude, he must be a fucking legend there. Yeah. That dude had some hits, man. Didn't know it. Hell yeah. I wonder if he still lives there. <laughs> oh, and uh, Bruce Springsteen's house is in Rumson, New Jersey. I did the I did the homework. I thought Ween was from Delaware, but they're actually from Pennsylvania. Hmm. New Hope. That's a cool name for a town. New Hope, like Star Wars, like a New Hope. <laughs> nice. But you know, not as cool as Mr. Outlaw Pete. <laughs> I I cannot bring up Bruce Springsteen without bringing up Outlaw Pete. Guys. It's, it's eight minutes long. It's a weird song. That's a weird it's, album. <laughs> I love that album. Yeah. Outlaw Pete. That's good shit. I remember I remember buying that album, listening to it on a car ride home, and then watching uh Deadwood. And I was like, this is a very appropriate pairing of things. That was a good day. But a very 2000 story. <laughs> very late 2000s. Well, not, not I guess not Deadwood, but obviously that album. That album was, what, 2009? I think it was 2009, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it been like, I want to say summer. I don't remember when it came out. I was thinking about, like, what 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 is something I did as, like, uh, someone who was 18 or older that would make me seem very old to people? Um, and the thing I came that came to mind was printing out Google Maps directions. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I do that with like movies that I saw in theaters that now that they just seem so much older. My go-to is the, always that I saw Getting Even with Dad in theaters starring Ted Danson and Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> that I just feel like that makes me feel really old. Because it's a time where Ted Danson was considered like a leading comedy star in movies. <laughs> 
I feel like Ted Danson's period. movie career was a long time ago. Yeah. But maybe it'll make a comeback. Maybe he could have been in the movie we're talking about today. Yeah. Maybe his career will be resurrected <laughs> from the dead. Uh, so uh, we have taken it back to American Zoetrope uh, this week. Uh, we are but a few years removed from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and are now focused on 1994's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Still produced by F.F. Coppola. Uh, although uh, it looks like the main script credit this time around does go to Frank Darabont. Uh, I think we mentioned last time he is not a fan of this movie. Yeah, I, th- I think I misspoke on the last podcast when I said James V. Hart was the writer of this movie. He just he just has a story credit, I think. I don't even know if it's credited on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. James V. Hart, the writer of Bram Stoker's Dracula. No, yeah, I, I see that there. Okay. Or at least a producer credit. Producer he's credit. Involved. I thought he had a story credit too, but he's he's involved. It's a lot of the same. I people. think it was a story credit too. Okay. I'm looking at Wikipedia instead of IMDb, but I don't have time. I'm everything from Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Frank Darabont, uh, we said last time, called it the best script he ever wrote and the worst movie he's ever seen. <laughs> um, specifically, he talks about how he thought the book and his screenplay were very subtle. Um, which if you've seen Barry Shelley's Frankenstein, you know that is the one word you would oh, not no, use not to describe a single second of the whole movie. Um, and that's surprising to me because Kenneth Branagh uh, is the director and the star. Uh, he came into this on a hot streak, right? He had done um, Henry V, uh, much Ado About Nothing, uh, two movies no one has ever heard do, of. Do, 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 Dead do, Again, do, 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 do. <laughs> I've definitely heard of Dead Again. I've it's been like in the back of my mind as a pick because uh, it was oh, an yeah? inspiration for us. I read because there's like scissors are prominently used as a weapon in it. It's a fucking thriller movie with like flashbacks to like the 40s and Robin Williams as the friend. I, this is definitely a movie we're gonna watch someday. And I saw that Peter Peter's Friends is like a comedy with Stephen Fry. The all these movies are are, are positively reviewed. Yeah. Like the critical consensus is pretty pretty good, uh, and they all follow the same formula of Kenny B putting himself in the in the lead role and directing. Um, so I don't know. Like my my gut instinct when I watched this movie was someone told him, "Hey, Shakespeare's boring. You need to make a movie that's not boring." And he's like, "All right, I'll." I'll just amp this one the fuck up. But I don't think people were telling him that because like all those movies were liked. And by the way, that much ado about nothing from 1993 is a blast. Uh, I think it's still my favorite, uh, especially because we all sort of have to pretend Joss Whedon doesn't exist anymore now. <laughs> so to me, this feels like Kenneth Branagh is probably like, Oh, I'm a, like a prestige filmmaker, but I kind of want to transition into trying to do blockbusters too. So this kind of feels like meeting in the middle where it's like, it's still like a period piece drama, but also it's got like special effects and makeup and stuff. So I feel like mm-hmm. that would be the appeal for him is to try to branch out to do like do more mainstream movies, you know, movies that could play, you know, in multiplexes, people munching on their popcorn. That's what I'm feeling. That's a sense I get. I don't know if that's what he um, was thinking when he's like, I'm going to do this. But that's what it feels like. I- 
That makes as much sense as anything. I think also uh, he probably does have respect for Coppola as a filmmaker and probably did want to like follow in his footsteps a bit. And like he saw that like Bram Stoker's Dracula was like a, a sleeker, sexier, faithful adaptation. And so he wanted probably to do the same thing. Just uh, altogether just a much less successful <laughs> uh, approach to doing it though. Uh, also, we're talking about uh, De Niro in this. I think it's it's the most surprising thing. It's definitely the legacy of this movie. The the thing that people talk about is it's so crazy that there was a time that uh, Robert De Niro did play Frankenstein's monster, the sharp featured um, man. <laughs> what is what? Where is he called the sharp featured? So man? The, I, I, Kenneth Branagh said like we will not call him the monster on set. He's the sharp featured man. But yet. <laughs> Aside from that quote, I don't see it anywhere. It seems like they usually call him the creature. But it seems like he didn't want people to, like, he's not a monster. He's just like you and me. I don't know. He kind of looks like a monster, though. He's like, he's a yeah. zombie. Um, and that's, I guess that's sort of the, the main conflict uh, when people are interpreting this movie is who's the villain. I think it's pretty easy to say there's two villains, though. Like it, does, it doesn't have to be a binary. There's a hero and a villain. Maybe it's just a story about two bad dudes. Like Phone Booth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Phone Booth. <laughs> I mean, that's what everybody thinks uh, of when you think of movies with two villains, is Phone Booth. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have such a hard time like tracking what exactly the trajectory of uh, like Robert Dio's career is. And but what I mean by that is like I don't know when it goes off the rails because it certainly did, mm. but I don't know when you could be like that's the one that's where it happened. Well, I bet we could pinpoint this. I feel I'm like not. it was definitely the two thousands, probably yeah. early two thousands. I feel like his nineties run is pretty good, even into the late nineties. Like he's doing like Wag the Dog in ninety seven. All right, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find the the moment it, it goes goes to shit. I feel like it's gotta be after Meet the Parents because he just was doing comedies after that. I mean, he done a few. He probably did analyze this before. Yeah, but then he just got into that mode and stopped <laughs> trying as much. Um, I I just really think looking at I'm looking at his filmography in the 2000s. I just really feel like it's Shark Tale. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Shark Tale, we meet I mean, again. He does do like a lot of forgettable movies. I mean, some of these are comedies, like The Men of Honor, The Score, Showtime. Yeah, I don't but know. like after Shark Tale, like how like. I guess uh, yeah, after so Shark Tale, it's like movies. not even something I would want to see. Like all the movies I just listed, like I'd maybe watch that. <laughs> like there's Stardust. He's pretty good in that. But then after that, it's like I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Uh, he's not that good in Machete. Meet the Fockers. Limitless is fine. But it's not really your Robert. I mean, that's just a movie where he's just like showing up. He's that's not really. He's not really as committed. Not that he needs to be. I mean, he's old. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook, obviously, good good performance. Um, but yeah, it's just so sporadic. And he's got guys. He's got fucking War with Grandpa came out this year. War with Grandpa. Are you kidding? Me? Oh, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. 
executive producer on Artemis Fowl. <laughs> are him are him and Kenny B still tight? Maybe. Why would he be a producer on Artemis Fowl? Really weird. I think they're just buddies, man. Maybe. You know what I was thinking about looking at Kenneth Branagh's filmography? Is I have literally no memory of 2015 Cinderella. Like, I must have seen a trailer for it dozens of times. I can't remember a thing, a single thing about <laughs> it. That movie was a huge hit, too, like, internationally. Like, I was, it made a lot of money. Uh, I don't think I've have seen, seen it. I haven't seen that one. It's one of the few Disney remakes that I haven't seen, even though it's one of the most successful. It's kind of interesting how, like, you know, I was just talking about how like, he wanted this blockbuster career in the 90s, and he kind of has it now. Took him a while. It's, yeah, he's like definitely like you can be like a Kenneth Branagh film that like, oh cool like this is gonna be you know that's a name I can trust as a director though it's funny I feel like he's almost always in with the exception of I don't think he's in Artemis Fowl right don't think so uh, he's like always in them too like I just found that funny like even like didn't he do a Jack Ryan movie where he's still the villain in it or something <laughs> that's that's a weird thing that happened. Yeah. Was it Shadow Recruit? Shadow Recruit. Did Recruit. you see that movie, Sean? I have not. Real that really seems like a movie that you and your dad would watch like on a Tuesday night. It was just too long ago. We weren't doing that back in twenty fourteen. Oh. Well. If you ever do a Jack Ryan marathon, tell me how it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird to think Kevin that the, this guy who started his career doing you know like henry the fifth and like ha- like hamlet adaptations would go on to do jack ryan shadow recruit and artemis fowl yeah well he had to wait for uh for studio pictures to be mostly just adaptations of comic books and existing film properties that's why he kind of disappeared from the late 90s into the mid 2000s uh, yeah you're just you're right like i feel like there's a period of time where it's like yeah he just disappeared pops up in one of the harry potter movies kind of slowly makes his comeback i'm i'm i thought i assume this movie did not help this probably was one of the things that led to him kind of disappearing i mean he did have hamlet after this which i guess got some oscar nominations but yeah it's also the only one of his shakespeare movies i haven't watched because it's fucking like four hours long i feel like i watched part of it in school but i don't remember if we ever finished it because yeah it's five hours long um, five hours long. God, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know how long it is. Cool. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you keep talking. I'm gonna see how long this this Hamlet movie is. It is 242 oh, minutes long. So fuck, dude. only yeah, we four hours long. <laughs> that would be that would take like a month of classes to fuck? watch. <laughs> Why would you do that to people? Oh God. No cuts gives you the whole play. I bet it does have an intermission. I feel like it's gotta. <laughs> Better fucking have an intermission. Not that that was something that people really did in the nineties anymore, but come on, you gotta hit four hours. Uh, yeah, I wonder if he got the Thor job uh, using Frankenstein though, because he is like showing off like how he knows how to film a guy who's like in pretty good shape. And he has his shirt off and like long blonde hair, and like he's using electricity to do stuff. Yeah. Do you think Kenneth yeah. Branagh was like, "Hey, can I? You think I can get in on this? Play a Thor? <laughs> can I be Thor? Can I just be Thor? 
he's still like pretty like handsome and still in pretty good shape. He could have taken over Thor. <laughs> he would have been like fifty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how much? Okay, without looking it up, who's older? I haven't looked it up either. Who's older, Kenneth Branagh or Robert? Or not Robert Downey Jr. Kenneth Branagh has got to be older than Robert All Downey right, Jr. I'm doing it. I'm looking it up. I'm crunching the numbers. Uh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is five years younger. It's close. It's close. Cause I feel so bad for him. Did you Did you guys see the Robert Downey Jr. story lately? No. What's going on? What's wrong? He's he's like, can we make a Sherlock cinematic universe? Oh. He's just been trapped in doing cinematic universes for so long. He thinks that's what movies are now. Well, I feel bad too because I heard the reason that he pretty much only does these big blockbusters is because like it's a very like controlled environment that can kind of help keep him like clean and keep him safe. Where he's afraid like if he started doing some more indie movies, he'd be more. Uh, he might risk, uh, you know. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he's getting, what he's talking about, but I don't know if he means like, oh, if I'm doing an indie movie, I'm gonna do drugs. But I guess there's something about just like making those big Marvel movies, the, the way that they're made, that is really uh, can really organize his life around it. I guess. Yeah, I'm sure Disney has like purity police too, purity like keeping an eye on all their main actors. Yeah, I mean the Disney man. Should have got a sniper trained on. <laughs> Chris Pratt right now, ready to pull the trigger the second anything happens. That's probably why they didn't. They're like, let's never work with Mickey Rourke. I mean, he was in that one <laughs> Iron Man movie that didn't work out. Let's let's keep it and just that. All right, Sean Penny B's Frankenstein. Yeah, well, let's talk about Mary S first a little bit. I because I did find some interesting facts about her. Uh, but of course, the most interesting one is the one we brought up last time, which is that she's like a hundred years before uh, Bram Stoker. Um, yeah, this is an old ass Frankenstein, <laughs> or the modern Prometheus, was published in eighteen eighteen. Um, so that's also like a hundred years before H.G. Wells was writing his books too. So it is uh, considered by uh, some people to be the first science fiction novel ever written, because. Uh, it is a story about someone uh, using, you know, experimentation to achieve fantastic results, as opposed to, uh, you know, some sort of more fantastical thing, like or divine providence, or, you know, whatever else. Um, I also that year eighteen eighteen is interesting because that means Mary Shelley was twenty years old when Shit, dude. the book was published. Um. And, uh, and she started writing it a few years before that. Um, this isn't particularly irrelevant, but because we're living through a catastrophe, I thought it was interesting to see that she had started writing, writing this um, during the year without a summer, which is not something I'd heard of. Uh, yeah, I heard about that, too. I kind of skimmed the Wikipedia. And I was like, what? You're without a summer? Yeah. Is this like you're without a Santa Claus? <laughs> it's not that bad. Um <laughs> So uh, Mount Tambora uh, erupted. Uh, it's a volcano in Indonesia, and it was uh, at the time like the biggest uh, volcanic eruption in centuries, and it blanketed the world with ash, um, and uh, and it resulted in uh, a like 
volcanic winter that persisted for most of the year. Uh, in Europe, these were, it was the, the coldest summer on record, uh, at least between 1766 and 2000. I, I don't think that means they had a colder summer since 2000, but maybe it does. Um, and also it sparked, you know, uh, the food shortages and, and all the problems that come with summer not showing up for a huge part of the world. Um, so that, that's interesting. Uh, the other thing about Mary Shelley that I found on Wikipedia that I thought was interesting is that she was a uh, follower of Pythagoreanism, which is, a, 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 I guess, a lifestyle or at least a philosophy based on uh, Pythagoras. I was hoping to be based around pythons. <laughs> you know how like, Alan Moore is part of like a snake cult? <laughs> I did not well, know jokingly, that. He like he joke he like, he mocks like I mock religion. I'm part of a snake cult. Oh, uh, he's like a spaghetti monster guy, yeah. but with a snake cult, yeah, basically. Um, so uh, I guess w- how this ties in. So the subtitle of Frankenstein is the Modern Prometheus, uh, and what Wikipedia says, <laughs> my trusted resource, yeah. uh, is that uh, as Pythagoreanism, she was a vegetarian. And their view would have been that Prometheus was uh, bad because by bringing fire to man, he seduced man into the vice of eating meat. Oh. So so by Dr. Frankenstein bringing the dead back... Wait, I'm confused. I've never understood the title. How do you interpret that title, the modern Prometheus, in terms of Frankenstein? So I think the, the the novel, and to some extent this film, wrestles with the idea of is playing God a, a good thing or a bad thing, right? Is Frankenstein the villain or is the monster the villain? Um, and so in this case, the Mon Prometheus refers to, to Frankenstein's act of uh, defying death, of, of bringing dead matter to life. Um, and... Uh, I think you could interpret that as a good thing. It's like on paper, it sounds like a good thing to be able to, you know, create life. But obviously they take the the stance in the, in the story that uh, it's probably pretty bad because this monster is uh, miserable and does bad things. And Frankenstein himself, not a great dude. Not really. No. Oh yeah. I have one more. I have a fun fact that I just found out that I think is interesting and that I'd like to share with you. Yeah. Uh, so you said 1818, right? It was in the book somewhere around there. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I was wondering, I was like, when did electricity even become common? And a quick Google yeah. search will tell you that it wasn't until 1882 that electricity was like common in most homes in like England. So it's like, that's crazy. This is a science fiction book that like predates electricity. <laughs> How insane is that? Because like the how did yeah. you think of the idea of like let's harness you know lightning to create to bring life to this creature like well I mean Ben Franklin had done that shit a few years yeah for like in the stupid like kite story that probably didn't happen not to reanimate the dead it's just it's a pretty crazy idea it's a it's pretty ahead of its time I don't think a lot of people realize that I think I think it's just because a lot of people like me didn't realize that that book was so goddamn old <laughs> yeah it's pretty crazy. It's it's crazy that this is like this is a story that they're using science to reanimate the dead and not like magic <laughs> or something. So mm-hmm. it's just cool. 
cool idea. I should read that book. I hear that book holds up. Um, I tried to read it for this podcast, but oh, I did not have enough time. Okay. It's not very long. But it is too long to read overnight. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, there you go. Yeah. Most books are. Is that another one that's done as, like, letters? You know, or, like... It sure drawings? is. Yeah. Much like Dracula. But that's a much longer Yeah. That, that's what that's what kept me uh, from really making a lot of progress, is it's, like, pretty wordy, because it's all flowery letter writing. Oh, God, yeah. It's going to be tough. Um, but, yeah, like in this movie, the book uh, begins with captain walton who is a arctic explorer trying to find a way to pass through the north pole um the book doesn't seem to be as uh chaotic at the beginning as uh as this movie is but uh, i think that's just kind of the way it goes so how excited were you guys when this movie started and like instantly like a, a sailor gets thrown overboard and drowns and they like run to an iceberg and it's like a huge storm. It's a pretty sweet way to start a movie, right? Um, well, so I'd always, even though I'd never read the book, I always knew that there was some Arctic shit that happened in the book. So I was, it was cool for me to see like, oh, wow, it, it's interesting to see a Frankenstein story uh, that's set like outside of the, the typical like old Bavarian village type setting. Um, and then to see him like killing dogs right off the bat. Um, and you can also kind of tell it's Robert De Niro screaming as he beats up the dogs. Yeah. It was weird. Like, even though like, yeah, like I I appreciated the opening like that. And, but at the same time, I actually did have that feeling for a second. I was like, wait, is this, did I actually skip a scene? Is this, is this really supposed to be the beginning? It's, it is a little abrupt starting like with this sequence. I mean, yeah, it's my, my response also, because I didn't know there was Arctic stuff in the novel. I was just like, wait, this is a Frankenstein movie? <laughs> I feel like I'm watching an episode of Shackleton. Shackleton. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, so Shackleton had to eat his dogs. That's a really it, sad It sounds story. like this Walton character is a way bigger character in the book than he is in, the, in even in this movie. Or in, and in most versions, he does not exist as a character. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he's like, I don't know if it's told from, I don't know if this is correct, but I thought I heard it was told from the like perspective of him like talking to Frankenstein. And then Frankenstein, and then I don't know if it goes into letters. I don't know how much you read of the book to really get a feel for the structure. Yeah. That that's what I think of it too. It's like um, uh, he's a framing device. Um, where then, within his telling of the story, Frankenstein starts telling his story, and then apparently later on within that, the creature starts telling his story. Oh, okay. So it's like a Inception thing, a dream within a dream wow. within complex within an expedition. Um, so yeah, Frankenstein's monster uh, is out there killing dogs. And moaning in the wind, and uh, Frankenstein himself shows up and uh, tries to immediately get the crew to arm up and go hunt down the monster. But the captain, Captain Walton, uh, played by Aiden Quinn, remember that guy from the bad stakeout, the one we're not supposed to support <laughs> with Richard Dreyfus. Um. He takes uh, Frankenstein into his boat, and he's like, you better tell me your story, crazy guy. And he's like, are you as crazy as I am? And to find out, we hear Frankenstein's story. Uh, And immediately, 
we realize we're in for a long movie because he goes all the way back to him being a child. I didn't need this. I didn't need old timey <laughs> little kid Kenneth Branagh and everyone in their stupid powdered wigs. This is not what I signed up for. Um, I didn't need the like the little kid part, especially because it has the like very creepy scene where they're like, "This is your cousin. We're adopting her as your sister, but you're probably gonna marry her someday." Like, what the fuck was that shit? Yeah, that is pretty fucked up. That's what you did back then. There weren't it's that like many that people. Movie. It's like Cruel Intentions. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, a weird thing for me is when Ian Holm walked in, I guess because this was a Robert De Niro movie, I thought he was Joe Pesci for a second. <laughs> and I never thought about that, that Ian Holm and Joe Pesci kind of look alike. You would just never get them confused because they have the exact opposite acting style most of the time. Dude, how good would this movie be if Joe Pesci <laughs> were in it? Uh, it? It'd be weird. Has Joe Pesci ever been in a period piece? <laughs> Wearing a powdered wig. Like, I'm, has he ever been in anything pre-20th century? Yeah, I mean, he's been in a lot of period pieces set in, like, the 50s and 60s. Yeah, but yeah, like gangster stuff. I don't think anything before that. I feel like we'd know, because he's only made so many movies. Yeah. Um, just, just to be safe, just kind of doing a quick little glance uh, at these titles. I guess when's Once Upon a Time in America? I mean, that's that's like like twenties, thirties, twenties. That's probably as old as he can go back. Mm -hmm. He can't go back any older than it has to be at least like Italian immigrants coming to America. It can't be any older. (laughs) It can't be pre gangster times. (laughs) I can't see a single movie that he's ever done that. Yeah, no, I don't think it's happened. But a man can Uh, dream. Yeah, and it was nice to see Ian Holm again. Oh, he's always uh, good. He did yeah. pass away earlier this year. That's right. And, uh, I don't know, I've, still, I've still got a few more Ian Holm movies I should check out. I still haven't watched Chariots of Fire or, like, The Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah. Ones to check out. Um, uh, and I don't think I realized how um, hyperactive this movie was until... Um, for some reason, old ass Ian Holm and Kenneth Branagh's old ass mom decide to have another kid, um, and she dies in childbirth. And just the oh, way God. that this is presented in the movie is she's like sitting sideways in a chair, and she's just screaming. And there's blood everywhere, and for some reason, Ian Holm has like his he's like just in pants, like his shirt's gone, his shoes are gone, and he's like rubbing blood on himself for some reason, and he like. Reaches at her with scissors. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. It's so violent and weird and intense. And then, like, he just like walks out in a stupor, and he's like, "I couldn't save her." And fucking Kent Brown is like running around. He's like screaming, "No!" And then, like, immediately cuts to her uh, her tombstone, and he's like, "Mother, I'll make sure no one ever dies." Again. <laughs> it seems to me like they're like, "Okay, this is like a Frankenstein movie. It's got like murder and monsters." We need some shit early on, though, so people don't get too bored. So we need this really upsetting uh, pregnancy scene. It's not like upsetting in a scary way, though. It's just, like, unpleasant <laughs> to have that thrown in your face after these fancy people just, like, being fancy. Yeah. Oh, God. 
Um, I think somewhere in there is like a you know Amadeus style like ballroom dancing scene, sure, yeah. uh, where we find out that uh, the 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 kids have grown up into Kenneth Branagh and Helena Bonham Carter in her second the pick appearance. Hell I yeah, think that's right, Fight Club. Um, and they're super into each other already, um, and but he won't let her go with him to. Uh, university, you know, which is Ingolstadt, the, uh, the the university in Bavaria that uh, Frankenstein's going to go to to learn about being a doctor. But really, he wants to learn about the, the fucked up shit they don't they don't tell you about in the real classes. <laughs> um, and you find out about that because he goes to class and he's like. Why do people have to be dead? And the the, the professor doctor who's teaching the class is like, shut up, you idiot. And it's like super intense. And weirdly after this scene, there's like a, a brief cameo of Hugh Bonneville where uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh meets his friend, played by Tom Hulse, uh, but also Hugh Bonneville like walks in and like walks between them and he's like, get out of my way. And then he's never seen again for the rest of the movie. Like, I I have to assume he had another scene that was cut, but it's so weird that, like, obviously it wouldn't stand out as much if it wasn't an actor I recognize, but they, like, make a point of, like, showing this other student who hates them, but then like, you never see him again. I feel like the early part of this movie kind of feels like there's a bunch of scenes that were cut. Because <laughs> we don't get a lot of introduction to, like, who Frankenstein is as a character, really, or... I don't know. It just seems like a lot of stuff is skimmed over because, for some reason, they had to start at the beginning of his life. But it's like there's not there's no time <laughs> to cover yeah. all that. Like, what what was the point of that? Totally. And all you need to know is that he's a doctor and that he hates death. Sure. <laughs> Which again, that's a noble. That's a good thing to hate. If you're gonna hate anything in this life, death. Probably pretty high up on that list. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Frankenstein is sort of, I guess, shunned uh, by his fellow students. But, coincidentally, he falls in with uh, one of his professors, uh, who has the great name Schmel Augustus Waldman, uh, who is played by John Cleese in, in I I think fake teeth and a prosthetic oh, chin. Just... Okay, because like, why did he look so weird? He looks. Why like, did they make he these looks exactly choices, John? like Billy Connolly? <laughs> he does look like Billy Connolly. <laughs> why did they just get Billy Connolly? But I, I read that they did that because they thought like people wouldn't take him seriously, so they tried to make him look more threatening. So they gave him like a prosthetic chin and like creepy teeth. Hmm. And I gotta say, why did you cast it? I, yeah, I don't know, but I gotta say, I kind of like it. I kind of like him in there because, like, I've always thought John Cleese does intimidating well because he's so tall and because he's got like that kind of stern British um, sensibility. So I, I really, I thought it was inspired casting. I'm, I'm all for it, even though I think Billy Connolly would have been a better choice because they're clearly <laughs> just making you look like Billy Connolly. It's weird. I like it. So uh, he reveals to uh, to both Frankenstein and uh, and Tom Holtz. I cannot remember what Tom Holtz's character's name is. Uh, 
Yeah. Henry, maybe? I wonder if this is the character that when they made, like, you know, the 30s Frankenstein, that, that, uh, that morphed over time into, like, you know, Igor and, like, Fritz and, like, all the hunchbacks. Because it seems like the closest he has to, like, an assistant. Um... Cause you know it's always weird how like all the all these Frankenstein movies you always have like the weird hunchback sidekick but like that's not in the book. <laughs> so what yeah. did it come from this character? I don't know. This guy's more though. They, they, it seems like his thing is more of like something gross. Oh, faint. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tom Hulse is so good at playing Victorian douchebags too. Like he's good in this movie. I'm all for it. Oh yeah, I was looking yeah, at his um, name. His name is Henry. Um, so they uh, are brought into uh, Professor Waldman's secret laboratory, where he reveals to them that he's been experimenting with like, uh, like I guess an advanced form of acupuncture to hear him describe it, uh, where he uses electricity from electric eels, I guess. Uh, and shocks it into uh, acupuncture points in the body and is able to reanimate uh, dead matter doing that. And he, and he shows that he uh, can like manipulate like a, like a chimp's arm that he has. You know, I didn't he read this, it... but I was wondering, is this like a reference to the monkey paw somehow? <laughs> but probably not. Oh. Probably not. Maybe I'm looking in too much. I think it's just because a chimp hand is like a person hand. Um, so that I, I think this leads to one of the other uh, interesting changes from not from the book because apparently the book does not s- describe how the the process of making the the creature unfolds, but a change from earlier adaptations of Frankenstein where instead of using lightning for electricity, uh, which by the way there is a scene in this where they go on a picnic and get struck by lightning and then touch each other with oh, electricity. Oh yeah, they get electricity powers. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, uh, instead of that, they um, have a tank full of electric eels for uh, for shocking things to life, uh, which I think is a great choice. I think it's it's creepy and over the top in a way that's very appropriate for the tone of this movie. I will say some of my favorite parts of this movie are the laboratory scenes because there's like there's like all these levers and there's hella chains. He's always like pulling chains. Yeah, and he's always got his shirt off. It just seems like there's all these. It's like a, he's like he's setting up a Rube Goldberg machine. There's like all these this weird elaborate setup. Also, he's got the uh, the electric eels instead of just like in a normal tank. They're stored in this like a weird cocoon that looks like it's made out of like a living material as well. I guess it's supposed to look like a womb, right? It's or like a scrotum <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> Ew. I don't like that. Uh, yeah, I think it's very gross also when he, like the whole lab gets covered in amniotic fluid <laughs> later. They're just slipping and sliding all over the place, but I'm getting ahead of myself because uh, I need to, talk about the scene where uh, Professor Waldman and uh, Victor and Henry are uh, vaccinating people for cholera and uh, one of the people uh, who is there does not wish to be vaccinated and he's played by Robert De Niro and this guy stabs Professor Waldman. Also he appears Uh, to be a pirate. In yeah. the way he talks and looks, and the fact that he has one leg. He has a peg leg. 
I was wondering if they were going to uh, to put De Niro in as a living person first. So I was glad they made that choice. Uh, and of course, it's done so fast too, where it's like he stabs John Cleese. Then there's like one scene of uh, Frankenstein's like covered in blood. It's like I can't save him. And then like bam, the next scene is Robert De Niro. He's like for some reason 700 feet up in the air and they're like he's like oh, i'm gonna kill you all and then they push him off and he's hung to death it's just it happens so fast and so over the top it's so crazy uh this movie is exhausting uh and then immediately after that uh frankenstein's like oh well i'm gonna take his body i'm gonna go get jean cleese's brain stitch together a person and bring him to life some random Dude, guys no I, I wish I'd given him a chimp leg. You assume, <laughs> you assume, you assume John Cleese has the rest of the chimp somewhere, right? <laughs> that wouldn't have been totally out of line for this movie if, uh, like, De Niro was limping around with a chimp leg. <laughs> Probably would have been like more effective. Probably been, like super strong. He'd <laughs> be able to kick really hard. Climb trees easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a good idea. Um, so yeah, he brings the monster to life. Um, as soon as the monster's alive, he like punches the tank door off of the the uh, the tank he's in, and then uh, the room is just covered in amniotic fluid, and he's naked, and there's slipping slide all over the place. Weird, for such a long time. You're <laughs> just like trying to prop him up. I guess that's what it would be like if you're just covered in. It's so weird that they included like so many takes of it, though. You know, it's not just like he picks him up once; it's like over and over. And it's like it's not like one long take either. It's like here's a take of him and they fall down. Here's another take of them helping him up and he falls down. It's so weird and gross. Uh, Also, the iconic "It's alive" line uh, for some reason is not shouted. He he more goes like, "It's alive." Um, which I wonder if it was just like he didn't even want it to be in the movie because I know it's not from the book. It's it's from Frankenstein, the movie. Um, but it's also just like a weirdly restrained line read in a movie that doesn't have much restraint at all. That's a good point. There's plenty of other scenes where they did not go to the, the subtle route. It's interesting that they chose the subtle route for this one moment. I feel like there is a point where um, he thinks that he's like not going to come back to life and he screams no. Which no. happens a lot in this movie. A Dude, there's a scene going, and we're gonna no. get to it. There's a scene where we're gonna get to it that has one of my favorite screams, uh, or just yelling, or like proclaiming to the heavens. We'll get to it. Is it? I think I know. Which uh, you one know it is. what it is. It's so good. We're gonna get to it. Um. So after Frankenstein helps the monster up, he like. <laughs> He realizes because they're slipping and sliding so much that he can't like hold him up. So he like ties him up with chains. Hell yeah, chains! And then this huge beam comes crashing down from the ceiling, bonks the monster in the head, and yanks the chains up so that he's like hung up. You know, again because everything is so tall, he's probably like fifty feet up off the ground for some reason. Uh, and Frankenstein's just like, "What have I done?" He's horrified. He, I think, he automatically just hates the monster but also i think thinks it's dead and so he's still like covered in amniotic fluid just a gross sweaty dirty mess but he decides to go crawl into bed 
Um, and I think this is one of the worst decisions the movie makes because the book um, does the same thing where, where they have Frankenstein immediately horrified by his monster. But he's also like, I hate this thing. I want to kill it immediately. Um, and so there's, there's that immediate antagonistic relationship between the two characters that we don't get here because instead, while Dr. Frankenstein's asleep, uh, the creature, I guess, just like slips out, right? Does yeah. he, he doesn't fight Frankenstein? I don't think so. I don't remember he fighting him. He away. Uh, and he gets, uh, he, he puts on Frankenstein's jacket. Sweet a cool look. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, but the, the town is being, uh, quarantined because of the cholera outbreak. Uh, and, uh, and some of the villagers see the creature and they're like, he's the one, he's the one who's been spreading cholera. Uh, so they try to like beat him up. Which is also not a good idea if someone has a contagious disease. You probably don't want to. It's all flocked them and grab them. <laughs> yeah. Beat the disease out of them. Look, how, what do you guys think about this makeup on De Niro? I think it's yeah, great. I think I'm into it. It's pretty creepy. I think I like it for the most part. I, I, I kept trying to think, like, who does this look like? There's, like, certain angles where I'm like, this kind of looks like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Uh, this also kind of looks like Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, it definitely doesn't look like Robert De Niro to me, which I guess is pretty impressive. Um, where it's just like, he's definitely transformed in this movie. Yeah. They, I mean, they're doing something to like his lip where it like bulges out on one side uh, and he has like different colored eyes. So it, it, it gives a very, uh, eerie effect where he does actually look like he's been stitched together from different people. Yeah. Um, I think that that makeup is even more effective later in the movie with Helena Bonham Carter, though. I think she is truly horrifying in her uh, brief appearance at the end of this movie. Pretty creepy, yeah. Uh, and we also get a very different acting style from Robert De Niro early on in this movie. He uh, he ends up hiding out in the woods and observing um, a family there. He becomes and, a hider uh, in the house. Watch yeah or a hider of the forest if you will because <laughs> uh, everywhere he goes people try to beat him up because he's so gross um, so yeah he, he hides out in this house and he watches his family uh, and from them he learns to uh, to speak and to read uh, and he learns about the desire to be part of a family uh which I think, like, this stretch of the movie is pretty effective. I think I did genuinely feel sympathy for the creature at this part of the film. Yeah, no, I agree. I do find, think it was a little silly that he learned so much. I mean, so fast. I mean, it was probably a couple months, but still. Like, he, he, he learned how to read just from staring through a hole in the wall at their, like, daily lessons. Yeah, so in the book, this is one of the weird things, is in the book... Um, from from Frankenstein's point of view, there's a six-month gap between when he creates the creature and when he meets it again after it kills his brother. Okay. Um, but from the creature's point of view, more like a year and a half pass. Um, and the creature says, like, he spends that time hiding out. Uh, it just coincidentally is also when a uh, another, like, runaway has been taken in by this family. Yeah. And so they're teaching her English and how to read oh. and also about their European 
morality. And he's just like spying on that and learning with her secretly. Secret learning. I like it. Okay. Oh, yeah. So while this is going on, though, Victor, uh, who is like, well, I guess that thing died, um, decides to go back to uh, his home of Geneva and uh, marry uh, Elizabeth, who, again, is his cousin and also his adoptive sister. But I guess everybody's fine with it. Um, They were way ahead of Game of Thrones and where I think the porn industry is going. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're keeping tabs on that um yeah it, it's it's funny i wish i had more to say about helena bonham carter's part in this movie she's like a like her whole thing up until the end of the movie is i just love this guy a lot and he doesn't have time for me I you this uh, is one of those characters you have to imagine is more interesting than the book because it's a book written by a woman. You'd think a woman would write good women, you know, female characters. So yeah, it's a shame that she's like not really a character. So too bad. I do think it's a weird coincidence that she has played a corpse bride in two movies. Though. That's true. I didn't think. Well, she's like the ultimate goth, right? So makes sense. <laughs> yeah, she is. Um, so meanwhile, the creature, uh, decides to introduce himself to the family he's been spying on, uh, and, uh, and he decides the way to do that is to, to rescue, uh, the elderly blind, uh, grandfather of the family. Uh, I guess a, uh, like a, some sort of like robber or like d- debt collector comes and attacks the old man, uh, and Frankenstein just like murks him. Just kills him in one blow. Uh, and the old man's like, that's cool. You should come in and like listen to me play the recorder and stuff. Uh, and so he's nice. But he's blind. So he doesn't see how hideous the monster is. Um, but uh, it, it does give him that like first taste of friendship. Uh, which is uh, cut altogether too short when the rest of the family shows up. And they see the monster and immediately are like, we got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> And they start beating him with a stick, and then they just haul ass out of their own house. <laughs> Never to return, apparently. Um, and I think this is the part John's talking about. Yeah, it where is. Frankenstein returns to the... Or, not Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster returns to the empty house. And uh, realizes the family's not coming back. And so he burns it down. And he turns to the camera. And what does he say, John? I will have revenge. Frankenstein! Frankenstein! So he does say, I will have revenge. And puts his hands up in the air, and then you kind of get that, like, that pan out that you get. Like the cliche <laughs> when people go, no. <laughs> it's really funny. But, but, I gotta yeah. say, guys, aside from that scene, even though I do like that scene because it's funny, this, it's, it, it was a total shock to me um, as I was watching this that this Frankenstein's monster part of the movie turned out to be the way better part of the movie because I was mm-hmm. going in I was like this is going to be so stupid Rob De Niro is going to be so bad in this and it's like he's actually kind of good in this it's actually like a pretty good performance and this is the way better part of the movie that was interesting to me yeah I don't I just have to question <laughs> Kenneth Branagh's interpretation of the Frankenstein character 
Because he just seems like such a blank slate in this movie. Like, he didn't give him any quirks or anything to make him, I don't know, at all interesting. (laughs) So, yeah, you come away just wanting to see more of the monster, even though I feel like this version focuses a little more on Dr. Frankenstein. When the Universal Monsters version focuses probably more on, on the monster. But still, like, the Frankenstein character in the that 30s movie, like, Colin Clive, like, made a choice. He's like, I'm going to play Dr. Frankenstein. He's arrogant asshole. He's a douche. He screams. Yeah. I feel like he committed to... He made a choice. Whereas Kenneth Branagh's, like... Um, he's, I guess, he's like, handsome. I'm kind of arrogant. I'm handsome. I'm definitely handsome. I have my shirt off yeah. a lot. And I love my sister. I hate death. Uh, but, yeah, he's... I don't know. He's not really that interesting. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I think you gotta make and, uh, and it doesn't seem like the, the his decisions really have consequences. Like, I think him choosing to focus on working on the creature instead of evacuating due to cholera and to be with, uh, with his sister um, should have resulted in them, like having relationship troubles or him getting sick or something bad happening to him. And instead like nothing he has, he's totally fine. And then it, it, it feels like uh, the monster comes for him more because he's been rejected by humanity and less than because he was rejected specifically by Frankenstein himself, which I think would be a much more interesting angle if it's, you know, you let me down as opposed to humanity let me down. Yeah. Uh, and also, the monster immediately does something pretty heinous. Um, so he comes back to uh, Geneva, where where Frankenstein is, hoping to marry Elizabeth. And uh, and Frankenstein finds the the little kid brother, um, and kills him. And then also takes the little kid's like uh, I don't know necklace or something, some some token he had. And plants it on uh, one of the Frankenstein family servants, and so a lynch mob finds her and also drags her up on the top of a very tall building, and then shoves her off, and she's hung to death. Crazy how swiftly they do it. It's like in one quick motion, they just like throw her up there, noose around the neck, throw her off the side. She's dead. Matter of five seconds. Yeah. They're just that certain that it's... she was the killer. Um, yeah, it's like I, I think I'm someone who likes melodrama. I like overacting more than I dislike it. But it's so exhausting how it's done in this movie, where they're just like it's like they just want to give you the meat. They don't want to give you anything in between. Mm-hmm. So all these sequences are just like crazy thing happens, crazy reaction to it, crazy thing happens. Uh, you can't ever calm down. I think it might have a numbing effect on some people where it like ends up feeling boring, even though like objectively there's nothing boring about this movie. It's, it's crazy and intense, but because it's, it's crazy and intense for two hours. Um, it just, it doesn't, it it doesn't feel that way the whole time, which, uh, which can be done, right? Cause like uncut gems is crazy and intense the whole time. And it feels that way. Uh, so it's, it's just they fucked up somehow. 
So the creature tells Frankenstein that he's going to keep fucking up his life unless Frankenstein makes a companion for him. So we're already getting into Bride of Frankenstein territory. I'm going to imagine this Uh, wasn't in the book. It totally is. It is. Okay, cool. Um... And uh, and just like in uh, in the book, what Frankenstein does is start to assemble a female body, and uh, and then decide that he's horrified of what's what he's done, and he throws away the experiment. Um, and so he knows that the creature is coming for him on his wedding night. Uh, so he, he assumes that means he's coming for him. So he uh, gets all his buddies, and they go riding around with guns. Looking to look at off the monster, but instead the monster sneaks in, uh, apparently kills Ian Holm somehow. All we see is him close the close his eyes. So, so I don't know, maybe he just gave him a heart attack. He's so scary looking. Um, but much more importantly, uh, Victor finds the the creature uh, on top of Elizabeth. Uh, in their in her uh, in the wedding bed, and he, like a Mortal Kombat character, <laughs> punches into her chest and yanks out her still beating heart. Uh, it's some Temple of Doom shit for some reason. <laughs> this is cool. Uh, super intense, and uh, the monster escapes, and this cause this part is not in the book. Uh, Frankenstein takes um, Elizabeth's body um, and stitches her together with some other body. Some, is it like some like assistant at the house, like a housekeeper type person? Oh, is it the the woman who was hung? Who was hung because she was, was she a suspect in the 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 death of the brother? Yeah. So they just they're just like, okay, she probably did it. Hang her. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did it. Judge Jerry. Executioner, it like took five minutes. They just needed to have that body. The movie needed to have that body. There uh, you go. And it's great. It's so it's so cool. So she, um, she is hideous for some reason. Even though her head was totally intact, but now it's all stitched together and it's a mess. Her hair is gone. Like well, yeah, it seems uh, like they just like open the head from every direction. Why don't they just like make an incision in the back, like? There's like stitches all over the face and stuff. It's because he's not taking his fucking time. <laughs> just he just hurried through it. Damn. Yeah, I'm trying to just think about uh, like what parts did they put together? I mean, they show him chopping her head off, but I would assume mm-hmm. then that they would just put her head on the other body because the other body has a right. working heart in it. I don't. I don't know why they would need to stitch anything except for the neck. That's, I don't know. That's a good point. Why would they need to do anything it's, with the head other than put it on the other body? It's really weird. But um, she's brought back to life, and uh, Victor's like, you've got to be with me. Say my name. Say Victor. But the monster shows up, and and he's like, you're the companion I've always wanted, so you should come with me. Um, and they both are, like, grabbing on her, and I thought for sure, for sure, because of all the stitches they were going to rip her in half. <laughs> oh, that would have been so fucking good. I think I thought that I thought like her head was gonna fall off. <laughs> like he's gonna kiss her and her head was gonna fall. I definitely thought, thought like since he rushed it that she was gonna fall apart. Yeah, that'd be but cool. 
in this one instance, the movie knew better than I did. Because they do some Denethor, steward of Gondor shit here. Where she picks up this flaming jar. I don't know what it was. uh, That she pours all over herself. And instantly she bursts into flame. But she doesn't just die. She starts booking it through the castle. And... (laughs) She's going downstairs. She's running across bridges. She's on fire for a long time before she eventually takes a, you know, a plummeting uh, fall off of, I think, a, the top of a staircase and smashes into the ground and flames out there. It's so good. It's by far the thing I'm, I'm going to remember from this movie. Since I struggled so much to remember what Frankenstein, the Frankenstein monster quote was, it's definitely going to be <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter. Being all stitched up, self-immolating, and then booking it through a castle. It's great. Yeah, no, I agree. It's cool. It's um, disturbing. So then, yeah, it is. That whole sequence it's... is genuinely upsetting, like, in the way that it's supposed to be. Like, where some scenes are like, like, I think him screaming, Frankenstein, is entertaining, but, like, not intentionally. Like, it's, it's not supposed to be funny. Whereas this scene is supposed to be upsetting and scary, and it actually is like pretty effective. So, gotta give it props for that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, we return back to the Arctic, and uh, Captain uh, Walton. God, it just occurred to me that the professor is Waldman, and the captain is Walton. Those are two annoyingly similar names. Keep on calling him Captain Morgan. <laughs> um yeah he uh so the captain is moved by the story and, and perhaps his uh his obsession is uh defeated by uh by hearing frankenstein's tale um i i what i'm interpreting happens is that frankenstein dies then right he's not killed by the monster no i don't think so right i think he just dies being in the Arctic. Um, yeah, because the next time we see the monster, he's in the room, like crying. Uh, and again, I'm like another like surprisingly good scene from Nero here, where he, uh, you know, he talks about he never gave me a name when they ask him, uh, "What should we call you?" And they ask him why he's crying, and he says, "Because he's my father." It's like, oh man. Okay, even though I genuinely... I like I, li- I like this Robert De Niro performance. I think that monologue is pretty good. I'm not buying that he feels any kind of sympathy for his creator. I don't really see at any point in time where he's like... I mean, yeah, I guess he made you, but he also... I don't know. He fucking hated you. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting, but I don't know. It's... um. I, I feel like it is something that's explored in a lot of, like... um robot centric science fiction sure where you have like these robots who know who their creator is and they know exactly for what purpose they were made and end up revolting against them and the complicated uh you know like it's it's sort of a metaphor for mankind's relationship with god but it's it's very different because Mm -hmm. of the specific answers they have i think similarly here you do have like this creature hates that he was made hates mankind and like really his i think it's more the one thing he had going for him was he really wanted to kill his creator 
And now that that's done, he has no idea what to do with himself. And he knows he'll never have a mate now, for sure. It's, it's too bad. He has so much potential. He learned to play the recorder. That's an impossible instrument to master. <laughs> yeah, with his crazy lips? Who even knows how that's possible? <laughs> um, but then the movie has one last tragedy in store for us. Uh as they are creating a funeral pyre for um, Dr. Frankenstein, the ice suddenly breaks and uh, immediately everyone has to either get on the ship or be stranded. And the monster chooses to be stranded, but he takes one of the torches and he, uh, he burns Frankenstein's body saying that he's done with the world of man. Which is pretty bleak but also i believe referenced in the ending of the movie van helsing <laughs> i like that the most memorable parts of this movie are all the parts with fire which is cool yeah fire seems like a big part of frankenstein so i'm, I'm there for it and and it's something it's a tool that he uses it's not something that he's irrationally afraid of in this. yeah get, get your done Sure it's just does. like how Prometheus gave the fire to the people. Ah, <laughs> bringing it all back. <laughs> so I, I, I want to know what everybody thought about this movie just in general. I want to hear Colin as a whole. Uh, it's okay, I guess. Like, I wasn't really enjoying it for most of it just because it's <laughs> like such a weird mishmash of like trying to be a... I don't know, kind of faithful Frankenstein adaptation, like kind of period PC drama that has like all these really campy <laughs> over the top scenes kind of stringing it together and making it like at all entertaining. Uh, but like by the end, there's like, there's all that weird shit that goes down. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. I mean, it, it like finally leads into its, I guess, campiness or just like its status as as more of an entertaining horror blockbuster and I'm like alright I kind of wish it had been this the whole time because as far as like a character drama it is not very good <laughs> so it's okay it didn't bore me really I think I'm I'm landing in a similar space I don't think this movie deserves the reputation that it has, which is like this movie is so bad, it's laughably bad. It's a huge, just a huge mistake. Yeah. I don't think it's that bad. I think a lot of the the Frankenstein stuff, the Doctor stuff, is pretty dry and hard to pay attention to sometimes. <laughs> but anytime he's messing with science or pulling chains, I'm, I like that stuff. Yeah. And all the monster stuff was way better than I expected. All the monster stuff with Robert De Niro. He's the saving grace to this movie. Like, he's scary. He looks cool, and the performance is good. So I think that stuff is good. So it kind of evens out to being like, yeah, it's okay. It's not like great, but like it's, it's not nearly as bad as its reputation. Yeah. I think that's fair. I also think this would be a fun movie to just like look clips up on YouTube randomly. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely it's got a lot of memorable scenes. Yeah, yeah, a lot of parts where you're like, yeah, that. That happened. <laughs> they put that in the movie. That's weird. Yeah, and when the and when the clip ends, you can actually pause and reflect on what you <laughs> saw instead of being immediately thrown into the next thing. 
Also, it sounds like it's still the most faithful adaptation of the book in terms of like a movie. So it is kind of interesting to see a movie like set in this time period about this weird kind of science in a dark age thing like that. That's kind of cool. I was just kind of scrolling to see if there's any other Frankenstein works that are considered close to the source material. And it seems like, yeah, people say this one is the closest. There's like a Hallmark channel like mini series in the mid 2000s that also is supposed to be pretty close that i was looking up and i'm like i bet this is pretty bad though but it does have um william hurt as waldman uh... and what's so funny is the guy playing victor frankenstein is alec newman who played paul atreides in frank herbert's dune the, the sci-fi channel series which also had william hurt yeah uh, this cast also has donald sutherland as captain walton Dan Stevens is, is Henry, the Tom Hulse role. And Julie <laughs> Delpy is playing a character named Caroline Frankenstein, which I just think is really funny, because I, even if it is a name from the book, I just love how that rhymes. Caroline Frankenstein. Yeah, that's the mom. It's funny. That makes me laugh. I also think it's funny that there's a uh, Downton Abbey actor in both of these, with Hugh Bonneville being the one in this one. Yeah. Weird. I guess you can only do so much British stuff without bringing down Abbey folks in. Also, a lot of Harry Potter people in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Same problem. Right? You got, so you got Kenneth, English. and you got Helena Bonham Carter, and John Cleese. I'm on the trivia section for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and at one point, Tim Burton was being courted to direct this movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger as the creature. <laughs> <laughs> That makes the heart punching make a lot more sense. (laughs) (laughs) Ripped Frankenstein. I thought. I think it's funny. There is the one shot where he's stitching the body together, and you just see the feet. Mm -hmm. And it's the one. So the monster's supposed to be eight feet tall, and it's like the one time where he looks huge compared to Kenneth Branagh, because his feet are like as big as uh, Kenneth Branagh's like chest. But then you never. I never buy into like. Robert, you know, being like that much taller. He's definitely not, doesn't feel eight feet tall to me in this movie. Okay, according to this trivia that I found, there's five actors in this movie that have been in Harry Potter movies Kenneth Branagh, John Cleese. I guess Emilda Staunton is in this movie, though I don't remember that. Robert Hardy and Helena Bonham Carter. Also, there's a whole bunch of other people who are considered for parts, and this, these, some of these would have been pretty funny. Sean Connery as Professor Waldman. Actually, that probably makes more sense than what we got. Willem Dafoe is, is Dr. Frankenstein. That would have been kind of cool, actually. Uh, Roman Polanski was attached to direct. Other suggestions to play the monster. Uh, Andy Garcia and Gerard huh. Depardieu. They're kind of just throwing, Definitely. throwing any name. Definitely. So Gerard Depardieu's good because his face already looks kind of misshapen, but I just feel like he would have been way yeah. too fat. <laughs> he lumbers around. Yeah, awesome. I would like to see that, though. Sean, do we have any goofs? Yeah, so for some reason, there are... Maybe it's because the only scene worth watching. There are a lot of goofs about the end of this movie. <laughs> really? Yes. When the creature punches Elizabeth through the heart, she turns her head to the side. Then, as Victor and the other men shoot the creature, Elizabeth is facing straight up. 
after the murder of Elizabeth, Victor brings her body back to the family mansion outside the rainstorm. When Victor enters carrying Elizabeth and is stopped by Henry, his hair is soaking wet from the rain. In the next shot, he enters the laboratory and his hair is completely dry. After Elizabeth is murdered, Victor brings her body back to the mansion and sets her down on the table face down. In the next shot, her body is lying face up. When Elizabeth's body is placed in the mesh tray, her arms are hanging off to the sides. However, when she's placed into the tub, her arms are tucked onto the tray next to her sides. When Elizabeth is lights herself on fire and runs down the hallway, she jumps off the staircase to the landing below. As she is falling toward the floor, you can see the floor is darkened with soot in the exact spot she's about to land before she hits. This shows evidence of previous takes, but the floor was not clean between the takes, revealing the already scorched floor. When Elizabeth is engulfed in flames and falls to the floor from the staircase near the end of the film, ignition fluid is visible on the floor in order to cause the flames to spread. I mean, yeah, it's a dangerous thing to film. They're not going to get it perfect. <laughs> Just as long as nobody dies, I think they're probably happy with the takes they got. Um, there's a... Uh, a you, I think we've talked about this before on this podcast. There's a, a channel on YouTube called The Corridor Crew, where they've done um, like special effects. People react to classic scenes, and also um, stunt people react to classic scenes. And one of the ones they talked about uh, in, in the stunt piece, the stunt people series, uh, is the thing, not the '80s thing, the older the thing. Okay. Because uh, there's a scene where it's on fire and it bursts into uh, the base, and everyone's there like shooting at it and throwing fire at it. Um, and the scene is crazy because the mon- the the thing is just throwing fire all over the place. Mm-hmm. And they break down like how to do that safely, and it's it's pretty crazy the things you can you can fireproof and, and shoot around. Wow. Uh, but it must have taken a lot of takes to stitch together this scene, and there's so much fire. Kind of like in this movie, Hell yeah. but this was done in the '90s, so it's not as impressive. I mean, it takes a lot of fire to take down a monster, and we got some monsters to talk about, guys. I'm talking about John's Rogues Gallery. Na 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 na. I got a twofer for the, for today's yeah. installment. We got the doctor and we got the monster. Let's do the monster first. Okay, guys. Frankenstein's monster. He is an evil doer. Uh, full name. None. Because he didn't, he didn't fucking get <laughs> That's pretty sad. Alias. Frankenstein's monster. The creature. Adam. Good spirit of the forest. The man. <laughs> the creation and the sharp featured man. Origin, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Occupation, creation of Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, come on. That's not an occupation. Occupation, I was born. I mean, that's a hard <laughs> character to give none. an occupation. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> make more sense. He's living in the walls. He doesn't have a job. He's not getting paid for just living. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. Power skills. Brute strength and intelligence. He learns quick. I guess that's fair. He does uh, have the brain of a professor. I would say he has a very normal intelligence. Yes, some intelligence. Yeah. If, if that accounts for him, it counts for almost every single person on the planet. Intelligence. <laughs> All I'm saying is he learned, he mastered the recorder shot, an instrument that I have struggled with for years. 
They should have put recorder. The recorder is nowhere in this villain's wiki page. I'm very disappointed. It's not even under hobby. His only hobby is killing his enemies. <laughs> it's really more of just killing his enemy, and all the other people he kills are ways to piss off his enemy. I guess he fights the guy like with the when he's like hanging out with the family. Yeah, killing his enemies. Um, goals: kill Victor Frankenstein, get a bride, be accepted by humanity. All failed. That's sad. <laughs> Crimes: multiple murders, and incrimination. Hell yeah! And what type of villain, guys, is? Frankenstein's monster. Misunderstood abomination. Uh, yeah, I was gonna do misunderstood, like anti-hero or something. <laughs> I don't know. So Frankenstein is it is tragic monster. Mm. Okay, guys, we got Victor Frankenstein. He is an evil doer as well. Full name, Victor Frankenstein, alias Dr. Frankenstein. Origin, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Occupation, scientist, physician, anatomy student. Powers slash skills. Immense intelligence. Not just intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Knowledge of anatomy and surgical weapons. What's a surgical weapon? <laughs> like... Does he use one in this movie? I, I feel like he only uses guns. Uh, this next one says skill in combat? <laughs> Is that right? Mm, I don't think so. He knows how to use guns, I guess. He doesn't use them well. He doesn't kill the monster. There's some weird typos on this page, too. It actually says skill in combat. <laughs> I didn't want to point out the typos, but it is funny. Maybe maybe it's just something we don't even know about. Ombat. Ombat. <laughs> Book smarts. <laughs> I really like this power slash skills page. Book smarts. Yeah, yeah. I guess men's intelligence didn't cover that all. <laughs> He's got wisdom and intelligence. Master of oratory. No, he's not. <laughs> I was, what they're saying because he sort of wins that debate with the one professor. I think that's exactly why they put that, yeah. But the only person he convinces is Tom Hulse. Yeah, and he seems pretty easily swayed. Yeah, he's an idiot. Intelligence, not one of his strengths. Uh, next, confidence. Sure. Yeah, I'll take it. And his last power slash skill is obsession and lust for Elizabeth. Uh, that's more of like a hobby, I think. I, I'm not really, yeah, I'm not really sure how it's a power or skill. <laughs> He's got the power of love. The power of love. That's that's what Helios is singing about. He's singing about seducing your cousin. <laughs> um, hobby. Reading ancient alchem. <laughs> book. That's hard to say. Alchemy, alchemical, 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 alchemical. Yeah, there you go. Reading ancient alchemical books and obsessing over the ignominy of death. Yeah, it, it, he gets it's it. It's funny to see these these like big words thrown around, and then this person didn't even spell combat correctly. Uh, goals: defeat death. Hell yeah. 
And then we got crimes. Grave robbing. That's it. That's his only crime. <laughs> they should put crimes against God should, aren't against they the should law. Have put crimes against God. That'd be cool. All right, type of villain. I feel like this type Mad of villain is, is closer to what you guys usually guess. Oh, <laughs> doesn't have mastermind in it. It doesn't have craven mastermind. mastermind. But it does seem like they overthought it a little. No, they didn't. They're not big words in it. I'm I'm not helping. <laughs> Just whatever sounds good. You're not gonna get it. Oh, so it's not the classics. It's not mad scientist. It it's not be, evil but genius. It's, not. it's neither of those. You guys just want me to tell you? I mean, you're not going to get it. Yeah. He's a he's a craven chemist. <laughs> he is an arrogant evil creator. Like, who would ever guess that combination of words? I should start getting Why did they clues. throw that word evil in there? Why can't they just say arrogant creator? Yeah. It's not like he has evil intent. But, man, I mean, who am I to say? He's on Villain's Wiki. And he's got crimes. I'm glad they're both on there, though. Yeah, that's cool. Specifically, these versions too. Like, not just I'm not just reading like a general Victor Frankenstein. This is the Victor Frankenstein for this movie. Looking lush. He's got long, luscious hair. <laughs> looking good. I will give Kenneth Branagh that. He's looking good in this movie. Looking good in the neighborhood. Yeah, he could be on the cover of some sort of Fabio book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Those covers are reserved for Fabio. Is he like the villain in a Fabio book? <laughs> yeah, he's fighting Fabio. Fabio's evil twin brother. Yeah, they they're fight. They're both grabbing a, a scantily clad lady and they're yanking her in like tug of war style. <laughs> and they rip her in half like we hoped <laughs> would happen. Yeah, in that's why movie. you read the book. You read the book to find out if they're gonna rip that lady in half or not. Dude, does this book end with Fabio lighting himself on fire? <laughs> yeah, they have a race. They light each other on fire and see who can run the farthest. That's good. Well, so ends my uh, mad experiment. But before I can wrap up this podcast, I think we need another pick. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. We were talking about doing a Tom Hanks month in November, but I guess maybe we don't want to do that. I guess we can decide after I, I tell you my original pick, even though I can't think of a Tom Hanks movie I would like to see. Um, so next week, the election's coming up. And so it made me think, like, should I do something political? Or should I choose something really frivolous that won't remind me of the election at all? <laughs> and so I thought, maybe I could try and do both. So I chose White House Down. Hmm? Mm, yeah. We, we can compare Bring it us. to Olympus Has Fallen, which was our first pick. Yeah. All right. That sounds fun. I bet it's better too. It's definitely it's got to cost more money, probably, right? Yeah, and it does have the thing that I remember thinking was lacking from uh, Olympus Has Fallen is that like the president and the badass guy just spend the whole movie apart. But with White House Down, it seems like they're like a, a buddy 
buddy action comedy team. Yeah. yeah. That's Our better. second uh, Roland, Roland Emmerich. Emmerich movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Someday we're going to get someone three times. We're getting so fucking close. I'm looking through the cast to see if we got any people that are um, making even their second appearance. I looked through it, too, and it looks like uh, Richard Jenkins may be the only person. Because I guess he was in Changing Lanes. Oh, yeah. That's right. Richard Jen- I like it when we're starting to like get these actors where it's like, yeah, we've had two Richard Jenkins, we've had two of the guy who played the accountant in Changing Lanes. Like it's 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 gonna be like someone you don't expect. Like this, a character. This actor. Actor. Yeah. I think it makes sense. We're getting a lot of mileage out of changing lanes. Yeah. <laughs> it's also weird to see these coincidences pop up during Shocktober. Like how I was shocked to find out that Edward Herman is main cast on Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh yeah, man. That's that's now like what he is known for. What he's best known for. I'd probably say that and then Lost Boys. What about the Dodge Durango commercials he did in the nineties? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> that's what I remember him from. Dodge Durango. Alright. People are gonna have to check that out. Uh maybe I'll check some of those out. Maybe I'll make it my little pick. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um and so concludes another episode of this podcast you got that um white house down episode to look forward to next week if you want to make sure you get it or find older episodes we've done look for the words mildly and pleased in that order together on uh itunes or whatever you listen to podcasts on and you'll find everything we've ever done except for a few episodes that somehow accidentally got deleted i don't know where they are i don't know how to bring it back what episodes <laughs> like very very early episodes of top 10 thursdays oh that's fine i got the greatest yeah. hits compilations I'll, I'll put those up somewhere someday um somewhere probably being mildlypleased.com it's our blog we're in the uh the end of shocktober by the time you're hearing this um, so you can go look up uh, a month worth of us reviewing uh, Halloween-themed uh, TV specials and episodes, uh, as well as my review of one horrible movie. <laughs> uh, and uh, until next time, it's alive! It's alive!